The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it gives us. God, we'd be so lost unless you had spoken to us. And you have. You've spoken to us in your son, in his life, his death, his resurrection. And you've spoken to us through the writings of his apostles. And it's also that you could bring us into your family. Lord, on this day, as we now sit underneath your word and try to understand it, hear what the apostle's saying, God, we ask for your help. Some of us come with heavy hearts. Some of us are distracted. Some of us are just hungry to hear from you. Lord, for all of us, feed us as you speak to us. We want to hear you. Um, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's the the week after Easter, so it kind of feels like, at least for me, maybe for you too, you just kind of have to take a, a breath. And today we begin a new letter. Paul's letter to Corinthians, and as we dive into the introduction, a way to set this up is just to ask this question, or really it's more of an agreement we were going to make together, I think. Do you ever just feel like your life is a mess? (laughs) I don't see anybody going, no, what are you talking about? Some of you are like, you mean sometimes life isn't a mess? Yeah, life feels like a mess. We have relationships sometimes that are fantastic messes. We have, well, just our own ability to handle our, responsi- our, our responsibilities can seem like a mess. Work. Any of you had one of those weeks at work? Or how about just raising children? You ever tried that? Sometimes, no matter how hard you work, how churchified your family life is, it's a mess. Each one of us, each stage, of, each stage of life, we all have our messy challenges. You know, really the question is, what's yours right now? What's the mess you face? And when we're in the mess, it's frustrating because it can seem hopeless, can it? You think, I'm never, I'm never getting out of this. And sometimes we just want to run. Unfortunately, that's not just true of individuals, our individual lives. It's also true of churches. Sometimes churches can be hot, horrid messes. Maybe you've gone to one of those. Hopefully you're not thinking, just like this one. (laughs) Uh, The question is, okay, where do we look in the middle of the mess? Where do we find hope that things could be any better? Where do we find wisdom for how to get any better? You know, this is exactly the question Paul must have been asking when he started this letter to the church in Corinth. This is exactly the question. How do I approach them in this mess? Because brother and sister, these people were a mess. Imagine going to this church where First Church of Jesus in Corinth, they're suing one another. How'd you like that? Jesus loves you, and I'll see you in court. Wow. There's a dude having an affair with his stepmom, and everybody knows it. You know, don't ask Joe about his date last Friday. You don't want to know. What a mess. They participate in city idol worship ceremonies. When they celebrate the Lord's Supper, they use wine, and some of them show up early to get drunk. There's different ways to get high on Jesus, I guess. There's cliques and factions and clubs, and they're dividing and they're fighting, and they're rejecting Paul's authority. It's awful, and that's just scratching the surface. They were a mess. Why were they so messy? Well, they looked at and they handled life just like their surrounding culture. 
Scholars say that the culture of ancient Corinth has a huge impact for how we understand this church and its challenges in this letter. Because the Corinthians, even though they claimed Christ, they lived just like Corinth. So let me give you just a little bit of background so we can have this in our minds as we face this letter, as we study it. Due to location and history, Corinth was the perfect place for making it big. Perfect place for making it big. So location, they controlled the commercial traffic between Italy and Asia, major trade route. They had harbors, springs of water, and what they called the Isthmian Games, okay, that's like mini Olympics. Lots of business opportunity. That's the location. Also, the history of Corinth. In 146 BC, they were destroyed by Rome. But it was resettled 100 years later. So Rome, the city, was getting full of this class of people called freedmen. So that's one step up from being a slave. You're still not aristocracy, you're not important, you're just, you're free. One step up from being a slave, and the city had too many of these. And so the government said, let's go resettle Corinth and you guys all leave. (laughs) What this did was it made an incredible opportunity for these lower class freedmen to build a life for themselves. So they weren't aristocracy in Rome, but now they had the chance to become aristocracy in Corinth. And so there was this race for status and wealth offered by these new opportunities. But here's what we need to realize is that it was culturally normal to live a life where you tried to manipulate everything for the, for the sake of your social status. So you would manipulate, uh, they were really into rhetoric, how you would talk and how you would present ideas, the skill of it. And you would do that in order to manipulate the world around you for your betterment. Or you would do that with finances or relationships. You're, you're playing people like a game in order to make your status higher. And so that pride, pride of place was a value for them. And the ends justified the means. So you would work for your self-centered betterment. And anything else was up for grabs. This is what you were after. Corinth also had a reputation for what we could call, I guess, sexual freedom. I'll give you one example. One commentator talks about the present museum of of Corinth, and there's a room there where they have a collection of clay votives of human genitals. (laughs) And evidently, these had been offered to the gods for healing because the community was ravaged by STDs, okay? This is Corinth. This is Corinth. What about the religious belief of Corinth? Well, they believed in everything. They had a host of temples and sacred places to a whole variety of gods. So you can worship whatever flavor of the, God flavor of the month suits you, as long as you revered the emperor above all. That was the dominating worship. So Caesar is Lord, he's protector, he's judge. So you could worship whatever you want personally as long as you paid homage to Caesar publicly. This is Corinth. This is the culture this church had been birthed in. And Gordon Fee says, although they were the Christian church in Corinth, an inordinate amount of Corinth was in them, emerging in a number of attitudes and behaviors that required radical surgery without killing the patient. This is what 1 Corinthians attempts to do. So here's Paul, the apostle, writing to this church that's in this debaucherous kind of city, and they look just like the city. They're a mess. And what will he say to them? Imagine as he begins. He's, he knows what's happening, and he must think, where do I even start? How do I begin? You know, in contrast to Paul's other letters to other churches, he doesn't praise the Corinthians for their faith. He doesn't praise them for their love. He doesn't praise them for their partnership in the gospel. If you were writing the letter, what would you do? 
dear church, you are a sorry piece of... (laughs) You guys just need to burn the thing down and start over. Sincerely, Paul. You hopeless hypocrites. You call yourselves Christians? Sincerely, Paul. How would you start it? How do you face the messes in your life? You got a messy relationship, what do you do? A lot of us get out the verbal machine guns. You're a mess, let me tell you about it. Does that bring a lot of healing and change? It's interesting. It's fascinating. It's confronting. It's confronting to see how Paul handles the mess. And so we really need to think here. As we, sometimes we feel like we're, I feel like I'm a mess. You feel like you're a mess. Look at how Paul speaks to the church in Corinth and how he also speaks to us. Hear it. If you're facing a mess with someone else, think about how you're approaching it and then watch and see how Paul approaches the Corinthians. Man, we have a lot to learn because even though Paul is very honest with them, he doesn't lay into them either Instead, you know what he does continually? I mean, the whole letter is wrapped up in this introduction. What he does continually here, it's brilliant, it's unique, it's different, it's amazing, is he points the people in the mess to the grace of God for them in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking at nine verses this morning. Eleven times in nine verses, Paul references Jesus It's almost as if he's just saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. What's he doing? Look at Jesus. Look at him again. Look at him again. Look at God's grace for you in Jesus. We're going to see God's past grace for the Corinthians in Jesus. We are going to see God's present grace for the Corinthians in Jesus, and we are going to see God's future grace for the Corinthians in Jesus. Because shockingly, even in the mess, this mess of a church, Paul sees, what does he see? He sees grace. He sees grace, God's grace in them, and he praises God for it, even in the mess. It's amazing. You know, some of you may wonder, we just finished Matthew. We've been going through Matthew for, I guess, three years. Why 1 Corinthians? Um, please don't hear me saying that I think Fountain of Life is just like the church in Corinth, okay? Unless there's a whole lot of stuff I have no idea about, right? No, we're, we're not like this. By God's grace, much more mature in Christ, and I thank God for that. But as we finished Matthew, we saw an eyewitness account of the gospel, didn't we? The life, death, the resurrection of Jesus for us. We got to see Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, the perspective changes, and we get to see how to apply the gospel that we witnessed to life. How does it work here? We get to put it into practice. We get to see how it's applied to a host of issues. And even though we may not look just like the church in Corinth... I'm pretty sure our culture has a lot in common with the Corinthian culture. And so we're going to have to ask, how do we apply the gospel to modern life in Southern California? And Corinthians is a great teacher for that. It all begins with eyes on the grace of God for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, past, present, and future. We're going to look at this grace for the Corinthians and for us as well who are in Christ Past, present, future, then we're going to consider ideas on on what it means for us today. Okay, are you ready? As we begin, just grab onto this one thing. If you trust in Jesus, Jesus, I need you to save me. Everything Paul's going to say about the Corinthians here, it's true for you as well. He's writing this to them because they have believed in Christ. And so what he's saying is true for those who have believed in Christ. Let's begin, grace past. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, he begins his letter uh, as a normal Greco-Roman letter would begin by mentioning himself as the author. Paul, 
Look at the next word. What is it? Called. Keep, keep that in your pocket as we go through the Corinthians. It's over and over again. Called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. So for Paul, is, is the word called, is that an active thing he's doing or is that a passive thing that was done to him? My name's Paul and I called up the uh, apostle office and I said, yo, I think I'm the man for the job. Is that how it was? Let me send in my resume. What would Paul's resume be? Do you remember? He has an amazing resume. He grew up a Pharisee of Pharisees, memorized the whole Old Testament, obeyed every law as much as he possibly could every single day. If there's anybody who was a good religious person in the history of the world, it was Paul. And that grew in him such amazing self-righteousness that he wanted to make a career out of killing Christians. So his resume to be a Christian apostle is not good. But Paul didn't do the calling. Who called Paul? God called Paul. It's an amazing story. Read it in the book of Acts. Paul is on the way to persecute Christians. He gets knocked off his horse, blinding light. And he says, who are you, Lord? And the voice says, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You hurt the church, you hurt me. Paul never forgot that, how Jesus identifies with his people. You hurt the church, you hurt me. And Jesus says, all right, I'm changing things for you. Now I'm paraphrasing. Jesus says, you're going to be my apostle. What? Is that the guy you would have picked? Paul? That's the guy God picked. Is it because Paul deserved it? No, in the end, Paul was uniquely suited for it. He sure was. His training, his knowledge, he was suited for it. But this is all of grace. It was God's calling. God said, Paul, you're my apostle. Paul starts his letter like this, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I did not make this myself. God's called me to it. Is that grace for the Corinthians? Is this past grace for the Corinthians? What's an apostle? So important. So important. You guys know this. Sometimes people say, follower of Jesus. Well, okay, sort of, but we should all be followers of Jesus. Some people say, well, eyewitness of the life of Jesus. Well, that's true as well, but there were lots of eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus. What is it that, unique, that is unique about being an apostle? And the answer is the word authority. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, gave the apostles authority to proclaim him to the world. And that's why we preach not first Matt Ford on Sunday mornings. I don't have anything to say to you. I'm not an apostle. What are we preaching 1 Corinthians, this is the message of the apostle, it's authority, it's life, it's, it's what we believe for Christians. That's grace to us, did you know that? Paul says things like this in Philippians 1.25, I remain with you for your progress and your joy in the faith. Why do we have apostles? For your, go ahead and say it, it sounds strange, for your joy. Did you know that God gave us apostles so that we could be happy? In Jesus, it's grace. Was it grace for the Corinthians? Are you kidding me? Read in Acts chapter 18 where Paul goes to this city. No one there knows the gospel. And he preaches, he stays there as long as he stays anywhere, a year and a half proclaiming Jesus, and a church is formed. These people owe their very knowledge of Jesus to Paul, who owes his apostleship to God, it's grace. Grace to Paul meant grace for the Corinthians so that they could find salvation in Christ. You know, it's interesting that Paul mentions our brother, Sosthenes. So if you're curious about things like this, our brother, Sosthenes, who's our? So Paul is mentioning kind of a sharing between him and the Corinthians. If you read the story of when Paul went to Corinth in Acts 18... After he's there for a while and preaching, a riot begins, a violent riot, because Paul's preaching the gospel and that always is causing him trouble. And there's a man who is the leader of the synagogue in Corinth, and he gets beat all the heck as a result of the riot. Synagogue leader gets beat up. Guess what the synagogue leader's name is? Sosthenes. Huh. Now I can't prove to you that this is the same Sosthenes. But 
The evidence points that way because Paul is mentioning Sosthenes as someone the Corinthians know of. And they would know of this man who is a synagogue leader. And so you get this amazing kind of conjecture of this guy gets beat up due to a riot over the gospel. And you just wonder, did Paul visit him after that? And you wonder, did the church reach out to him after that? To where Paul can say, here, I'm writing this letter and Sosthenes, who you know of, who lived in Corinth, who knows what the city's like, who knows what you're, li- what you're like, we're doing this together. It's a connection point with the Corinthians, and it's another piece of God's epic grace, how he saved pagan idol worshipers to bring them into his family through Christ. It's grace. Grace passed just in Paul, his calling. But Paul didn't just, or excuse me, God didn't just call Paul. Look what Paul says now to the church in verse 2. Two. Okay, stop just for one more second. Do you remember what this church is like? They're suing each other. They're sleeping all around in weird ways where even the pagan culture is like, you guys are crazy. They're getting drunk on the Lord's Supper. They're arguing and fighting all the time. They have all these weird beliefs. These people are... This is the most loser church ever. We would all leave this church after one Sunday. You'd be like, this is crazy town. Look what Paul says to them. Verse 2, to the church of God that's in Corinth. That's so amazing. You guys are God's church. He loves you. You belong to him. He knows you. His name is upon you. Can, is that, can I say that to you as well today? Just be encouraged by this. This is supposed to encourage us. Fountain of Life, you're God's church. He knows each one of you. He loves each one of you. And he wants you to know it today. Your name, his name is on us. We belong to him. Even in the midst of our mess, we're loved. Isn't that awesome? The church of God, God's church. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. I'll never get over how strange this preposition is. In Christ Jesus. It's not a generally a a word we use for our relationships. But how is it that we're in Christ Jesus, connected to Christ? Well, the promise of the gospel is when you trust in Jesus Christ, when you realize you're a sinner, you need him, you say, Jesus, I look to you, save me. Uh, I give you my life, I'm trusting in you. You're my God. When you put your faith in Jesus, God unifies you to Jesus. He connects you to Jesus, so you're in Christ. That's why Jesus said to Paul when Paul was persecuting Christians, he says, Paul, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And Paul could be like, no, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting Christians in Damascus. And Jesus says, that's me. You're unified to me. They're my people. They're my body. They're my family. It's my bride. In Christ Jesus, when you trust Jesus, you're in Christ Jesus. And not only that, you're sanctified in Christ Jesus. What's sanctified mean? Sanctified means to be made Holy. Okay, I just broke the rule because I answered a church word with a church word. Okay, don't ever do that. Don't do that to your friends. Make yourself answer questions without church words. What's praise? Worship. I don't know what that is either. Okay, what's sin? Transgressions. I don't know what that is either. What's sanctified? It means you're holy. Okay. Set apart. You're different. I like the image of marriage for this. I am set apart to my wife. We have a sanctified relationship. She is set apart to me. She belongs to me in a way no one else does. Made holy, separate, for something special. Okay, each one of you, you've trusted in Jesus Christ. You were set apart for something special. You were made holy. You were pulled to the side for something valuable and unique. You belong to God. You're his. And so just, there's a loyalty and a devotion, a possession where he loves you and he wants you, you've been made holy in Christ. So the blood of Jesus that pays for our sins and washes us clean, purchases us and brings us to God in Christ, set apart. 
Now, a lot of times we use the word sanctified, kind of a theology lesson in this passage. A lot of times we use the word sanctified to mean the process of becoming holy in your daily life. And that's a fair way to use the word. It's like that in the New Testament. So I'm becoming sanctified. What does that mean? It means I'm starting to live like a holy person more and more. I love God more. I want to obey him more. I'm set apart to him more in my actual practice. Okay, Become sanctified. How long does that process take? To my knowledge, none of you have reached the end point of that yet. And I haven't either. It takes a whole lifetime to be sanctified, set apart. But here it's used as a title. Paul is saying, you're holy in Christ already. You're sanctified in Christ already. You've been made holy. Like a vessel in the temple made only for God, that's you. You're made holy. Now again, be amazed. What is this church like? They're a mess. And Paul says of them, you're holy. How can this be? How can this be? You guys, this is the gospel, that you have an identity before you have behavior. So beautiful. And Paul is clinging to this with all his might for the Corinthians. If we looked at their behavior, we would say, spawn a Satan. (laughs) But that's not where we get our identity. The whole world tells you it is. Tells you it is. Do the right sacrifices, follow the right rules, say the right things, go to the right meetings, do it, do it, do it. One day you'll get an identity. I'm a good Christian person. Why? Because I went to church. That doesn't work. The gospel sets that on fire. Number one, you'll never be good enough to reach that identity on your own. The gospel tells us the truth about the mess, right? You're a mess. Jesus didn't get his hand slapped to bring us to God for our little sins. He was crucified to bring us to God for our evil sins. We are a mess. But in the midst of the mess, the gospel gives us an identity that's far beyond the mess. Beauty, holiness, you're holy, you're holy. So Christian, can I tell you right now, you are as holy right now as you'll ever be in the sight of God. Isn't that amazing? In the midst of all your mess, You can stand in the presence of a holy God, and he says, beautiful, complete, perfect, set apart for me, clean, holy. It's like you never sinned. It's like you always did it right. That's you. That's me today, right now, because we're sanctified in Jesus Christ. That's his grace for you. Love we don't deserve, made holy. And you can hear Paul start pleading with them. He says, this is hope in the mess, and this is hope to change the mess, because he says, you're sanctified in Christ Jesus, and you're called to be, what? Saints. You are called to be saints. So if you came from a Roman Catholic background, you might be obsessing right now, because you're like, whoa. Saints are the really good people who did extra good stuff. So they got like bonus righteousness, but that's not me. The the New Testament authors see this totally differently. Saint is an identity you receive by the grace of Jesus Christ. So if you trust in Jesus Christ, guess what? You are a saint. Sometimes we'll say to people when they do something amazing for us, oh, you're a saint. Thank you so much. And we're seeing evidence of their identity as a saint. Thank you for doing that amazing thing. We don't always say to the people in the mess, you're a saint. Because we're measuring their identity by their performance, which means we're not looking at them through the lens of the gospel. And every day, you look at yourself this way too, don't you? Come on, good Christian moms, you're working hard, your kids don't obey right, and you think, I'm terrible. What lens are you looking at yourself through? Who are you? Whatever your place in life, whatever your struggles, you look at yourself sometimes and you say, I'm a mess, I'm a failure, I've screwed it up. What lens are you looking at yourself through? Look at at the lens God is using. By the way, he's, he's the only perspective that counts, right? You're a saint, You are a saint. And so Paul already in the mess is saying, you're sanctified in Christ. You've been made holy and you're called to be saints. What's funny is saint is an identity term. 
So what Paul's saying is basically this. Be who you are. Be who you already are. Who am I? It's this heart need, right? It's this identity need. We fail enough, we start seeing ourselves as, I'm a failure, I'm lost, it's hopeless. Paul says, no, 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 look at the grace of God for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. He bought you, he made you holy, set apart, sanctified. You are a saint. Okay, because you are a saint, now be a saint. Identity first, then behavior. Be who you are in Christ. Called to be holy. Called to be saints. Grace past, we've also been brought into the family. You see, Paul says, you're called to be saints together with those who, in every place, call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Corinthians were very cocky, very prideful. Corinth was very prideful. So the Corinthians had all these ways of measuring one another against each other, and some were awesome, and some weren't. And so later, Paul will say, you're the body of Christ, and you can't, you can't diss on other parts of the body, Right? You know, it's like asking, which part of your body would you like to lose? And each one of us would probably be like, can I keep it all? You know? And yet the church was saying to parts of the body, oh, we don't need you. And Paul says, no, every part is precious. Here he's bringing it up, even in the beginning. You've been brought into this family, all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bought into this bigger picture, a network of God's family all over the world. It's amazing to remember here, though, that this is a grace Is it a grace to know other Christians? Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Come on, you're missing the forest for all the trees in that moment. Is it a grace to know other Christians? Oh my gosh. You know, what do you want to do when you're in the middle of the mess? You want to go to Bedside Baptist, right? Church of the Holy Comforter and sleep in. When you're depressed, when it's a mess, you don't want to go to church, right? You're too busy, you're too frustrated, you're too depressed, I'm going to stay home. You know what you need in the mess? We need each other. I need you in my mess, you need me in your mess, we need each other. We've got to come in together, we've got to, say, we've got to be able to say, I'm a mess, and we've got to have somebody say to us, and you're holy and you're sanctified. And you're a saint. Look at God's grace for you in Christ. Paul's just pointing them to God's grace, grace in the past. They're a mess. He says they're holy in Christ. That's amazing. He also points them to the present grace for them in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes when we're reading the Bible, we light speed through this verse, right? Because it's just like a greeting. Do you realize what's in this greeting? Grace to you. You know what you need when you're in the mess? It's not condemnation. I'm in a mess. I know, and you stink. You're terrible. Can I show you, now that you're in the mess, all the ways you're horrid? Paul says, you are a mess. He's going to tell them straight, right? He's going he's to deal with all these issues throughout the letter. But he starts by saying, grace. Grace to you. You're a mess and you're loved. Grace is the undeserved, lavish love of God in Christ. The word you need to keep there is undeserved. Hang on to that word. Your heart's going to want to push it away. You think you should give love and receive love when it's deserved. If that happened, God would never love you. It's undeserved love. Keep it. It's undeserved. Even though you don't deserve it, you're loved. Isn't that amazing? Oh, that transforms my life when I remember God loves me. When I'm stressed, when I'm overwhelmed, when I don't think I can do it, when I'm not sufficient for the call, when I'm nervous, when I'm anxious, when I'm a mess, and Jesus says, I love you, oh, I, can, I, can, I can make it. Grace, grace to you. Hey, fount of life, everybody who trusts Christ, grace to you. God's love for you right now. From God our Father. Who does God want to be to you? Who is God to you in Christ? Father. Now for many of us in this world, it's hard to hear that title without a lot of pain because our fathers have hurt us, let us down. But can we even just take that? If you've been hurt by your father, that means you know your father should have been something that he wasn't. God is that. God is that. He is faithful. He's protector. He's provider. He's identity giver. 
He's proud of you. He loves you. He's your father. He delights in you. He wants you to be in his presence. He's your father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Jesus is king, and that's our guy. That's our brother. That's our savior. He's the Lord. Grace to you, and when you know God as your father and Jesus who loves you as your Lord, grace to you and what? Peace. Peace is a, you know, shalom. It means wholeness. It means holistic health in every aspect. In the mess, you're like, there's no peace here. But when you can see God's grace for you, he's father. He's my father. Jesus who loves me is Lord. You know what? It's messy now, but I've got peace. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. God's my father. Jesus is Lord. I may not see it now. I'll see it later. The mess will end. Grace and peace right now through the Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Present grace, daily grace, momentary grace. We see more God's grace in the presence in, in present in verses 4 to 7. I thank my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him. So you were made powerful, you were given strength, you were given abilities. Now what enrichments does Paul mention here? In every way you were enriched in him in all what? Speech and knowledge, even as the testimony of Jesus was confirmed in you. Here's the idea, okay? When a when people believe in Christ, they're brought into the church. Because if, if I trust Jesus and God's my father and you trust Jesus and God is your father, then that makes us family. And so we're brought together into this community. The gospel builds this community. And in this community, as the testimony of Christ, the gospel is in us, confirmed in us, we are given, as Paul will call them, gifts, as Peter calls them, gifts. We are enriched with abilities that we are used for loving and serving one another. Think of the gifts that come out of this community. Don Woodhead has gifts, artistic gifts. Did you see our set Good Friday night? He worked hard for that. Didn't you appreciate that? Yeah, our beautiful tree of life. next to the, There's the fountain of life right there that our church is named after I'm kidding, okay, but that's a gift, his artistic gift. It adds a lot. It's one small thing. Some of you are using your mathematical gifts to help us. Praise God, I'm not in charge of the budget. Can I get an amen? All right, that was too loud. That w- you were too passionate about that. Gifts, people taking one another to the doctor when you're sick, meals for those who need them, encouragement, listening, friendship. You guys, it's flowing out of you all the time. The gospel is confirmed in us, and it's enriched in these gifts. And that's a meaningful Christian life, isn't it, when you can use them to serve others? Now, the Corinthians were such a mess that they took even their gifts and screwed those up. (laughs) Because we're going to see later, they took a lot of pride in their knowledge and in their speech. You ever met a Christian who has a lot of pride in how much Christianity stuff they know? (laughs) Pride in the gifts. It's amazing Paul doesn't just, again, he doesn't just slap them here. What does he point them to? Where do their gifts come from? It was God's grace. Here's, Here's a theological, mathematical reality. If grace is undeserved love and a gift, what does it do to pride? Grace kills pride. Remember the word undeserved? It's undeserved. And so when we're prideful, what are you prideful about? Nothing, Pastor Matt. Yeah, look again. <laughs> what are you prideful about? You got skills, you got gifts. I thank God you got gifts. You got gifts I don't have. You prideful about those? It's grace. It's from God. And if God gave it to you, well, Paul will say this in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast like you didn't receive it? If it's a gift, you can't be prideful about it. 
The only thing you can boast in is like our memory verse this month. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Somebody says, man, you got a gift. Your response should be, thank you. I love using it. I'm so thankful Jesus gave me this gift. So we don't say, oh, I don't have any gifts. No, you do. You do. So do I. We all do. Every one of us. Find it. Use it for the blessing of others to the glory of God because it's his gift. Paul is bringing them to God's grace in the present. The gospel's then confirmed in you. You have these gifts. You're not lacking anything. Look at verse 7. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw this in the Gospel of Matthew. We see it here everywhere in the New Testament. When Jesus comes back, it's going to be a revealing I can't wait to see that. Can you? We saw him as a humble servant. We saw him crucified. The world sees him now as a joke or as a myth. And one day he's going to come back and we're going to see him for who he is. And what are we going to see? Oh, the, the glorious Lord. And we're waiting for that. We're waiting. You know, waiting is a, it's a character strength in the New Testament. Isn't it true sometimes all you can do is Wait. In the middle of the mess, sometimes all you can do is wait longer. Keep going. Just wait. Does anybody enjoy that experience? No. No. Does anybody, is anybody, your hobby is like patience? I really love to, to groom patience in my life. So today I went and sat in traffic just to, just to push myself. I went to the DMV again because I just love waiting. I just, I love what God's doing in my life through it. Yeah, right. Nobody likes waiting. It's a gift of grace to wait. Just wait. Just wait. Keep going. Some of you, you're in the mess, and God's grace is evident in that you didn't just pack up and leave. You're still at it. And that's grace. It's God's endurance. Keep going. It's his grace for you today. Waiting, waiting for the revealing of the Lord in the future, waiting for his grace in our lives. Paul shows them, they're in a mess, he shows them past grace, he shows them present grace in the Lord Jesus, and guess what? Future grace. Look at this line from 7 to 8. I love this line. So you're waiting for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of... The Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't he kind of seem to be shoving the Lord Jesus Christ in there too much? The Lord Jesus Christ will sustain you to the end, guiltless, to the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does he want you to look at again? God's grace for you in Jesus. Here's the beautiful thing. Look at that word, sustain. In Greek, it's the same word as the word confirm in verse 6. The gospel is confirmed in you. Again, is that an active or a passive thing for us? Passive. God confirmed the gospel in us. We believed it and we saw its evidences in us. And who's going to sustain us till the end? Who's going to keep us going? The Lord Jesus Christ will sustain you to the end. He will keep you going. The reason I believe in him today is because he's keeping me going. The reason I'm going to believe him tomorrow is because he's going to keep me going. He's going to sustain me to the end. He's even going to sustain me to the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, biblically, the day of the Lord, boom, serious day. It's a day of judgment. It's a day of justice. It's a day when he sits on the throne and evil has to answer. The day of the Lord, boom. How does the day of the Lord feel to you, especially when you're guilty for the mess? I made the mess. And I have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ on his throne. Be afraid and tremble. Except for that. The Lord Jesus Christ who will sit on his throne at the day of the Lord. He will sustain you to the end. And look at that next word. What is it? Guiltless. Innocent. Innocent. So Jesus will bring you to the day of Jesus. And the judge over all the earth will say, innocent. 
Because his life and his death and his resurrection was attributed to you by grace through faith. Future grace, you're going to make it. Jesus will enable you to make it. Why? Look at verse 9. God is, what is he, church? He's faithful. He keeps his promises. If he showed you grace in the past and grace in the present, he's not like everybody else we know. He doesn't just drop his commitments. He keeps them to the end. He's faithful. When you're in the mess, what do you need to hear? God is faithful. Even to the Corinthians? Even to the Corinthians. Wow. God is faithful to his people, even when his people don't look very faithful. After all, he's called us into the fellowship of his son. Fellowship means sharing. You want to see grace? You want to see a gift? What does the Father love more than anything? What has he been loving? Eternity past, eternity future. He loves his son. He loves his son. And the father said, I'm going to share my son with you. So that you can share everything with me. It's grace. It's sharing. We've been called into the fellowship of his son. So when you're in the mess, where do you look? Jesus, look at God's grace for you, past, present, and future. In the Lord Jesus Christ. It gives you hope and it gives you wisdom. It gives you hope because it shows you your identity. I'm sanctified. I'm a saint. Be who you are. And it gives you wisdom. Who is the Lord to you? Who is your Lord now that you are saved by grace? Jesus. So what does it mean to follow him in the mess? When there's a mess, look to grace. Few applications. Number one, if you're not a Christian, you want unending, future, forever, amazing, undeserved love of God for you? Trust Jesus. Just trust him. Look to him. Trust in him for who he is and what he's done. Repent. Trust your life to him. Believe he lived for you. He died for you. He rose for you. Two, always remember, identity before even despite performance. What happens first as a Christian? Do you do good stuff so that you can get the title of loved? Or are you loved and then you do good stuff? It's the second, identity first. Treat other people that way. It's identity first. Even the messy people are holy in Christ. And apply this to yourself. Some of you are doubting your identity in Christ. You feel insecure, you feel condemned, you feel unloved. We go ahead and just embrace the gospel by grace through faith. You are holy. You are sanctified. You are loved right now, even in the middle of the mess, because of what Jesus has done for you. Three, grace humbles. How much of our messes are made by pride? I don't know. I'm going to go with 99%. Humble yourself before the Lord. It's grace. If you are not so much in the mess and somebody else is in the mess, don't boast over them. Because if you're boasting, you're saying, oh, I did this. And Paul might remind you, your lack of a mess is a gift of grace. If you received it as a gift, why do you boast over it? Grace humbles. For grace unifies. It unifies. It brings us together to treasure one another, to lean on one another, to listen to one another. The grace from Jesus we receive is grace We've got to share out. Five, grace encourages. I think that's a big one of this. Evidences of grace. Paul could have said anything in the world to this crazy, crazy circus chicken coop of a church. Crazy. What does he say? What does he look for? Evidences of grace. If Paul can see and speak evidences of grace to them, What can we do for one another? Do you see evidences of grace in the people in your life? You know, you you can choose to see what you want. 
My wife does this for me. She really does. It's a grace to me. She thinks about the good parts of me and is quick to forget the bad parts. I try to do that for her too. It's changed our marriage. And you think, well, that's naive. Well, listen, God does it for you all the time. I'm not going to remember your sins. I'm going to treat you like you're righteous, like my son. What if we built up a culture more and more here at Fountain of Life to see, recognize evidences of grace and speak it? I saw God's work in you. So we're encouraging each other, and yet who's, giving the, who's getting the glory? God is. I see a gift that was awesome. You changed things. You made all the difference. I'm so thankful for God's grace in your life. And we're encouraged. Oh, God, use me. Awesome. And he gets the glory. Grace encourages. Last one. Grace will make you passionate about Jesus as Lord. Jesus as Lord. In a world of Corinth where they say Caesar is Lord, you better go to the idol festivals. For Paul to say, no, 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 Jesus is Lord. That's radical. And if you're looking to Jesus as Lord, that means he loves you just as you are in the mess, but he's not going to leave you there. By his grace, we begin to obey. We begin to follow passionately because Jesus is Lord. So the old saying is true. Grace loves you just as you are, but it won't leave you that way because God is faithful. So fountain of life, when there's a mess, or I guess even better, before there's a mess, we could try that too. Lift your eyes to the grace of God for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace past, grace present, grace future. Let's pray, and then we get to share the meal that perfectly teaches and experiences this grace. Jesus' body torn for you. Jesus' blood shed for you, bringing us together into his family. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sharing your son. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. And we thank you for the grace that we receive in him. New identities. We're sanctified. We're made holy. New family, brothers and sisters. And you'll keep us to the end. You'll sustain us guiltless to the day of the Lord. We thank you for this grace. Help us to receive it to trust it, and then to express it to others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.